just uh, as an introduction, I'm uh, not quite the same league as our uh, previous speakers, unfortunately. I don't have any claim to fame with wartime service, but I have given 13 years of my life to the uh, Blue Band Airways, which culminated in me beginning my association with the uh, DC-3 with a RNZ at Brevo on my chest. So I do have some uh, rapport with the wartime guys, other than the fact that I've not been out there having uh, zeros and measurements firing bullets at me. Just what I thought I'd do with regards to the, the DC-3 in particular is, is not bore you with what uh, you know. generally people know about our own aeroplane because clearly the party that we flew down today have done their best to support us anyway by turning up and uh, supporting Dave's function here for the uh, forum today. And uh, we're very pleased and proud in fact to be a part of that as well. And uh, while I'm on the topic, Dave, we're particularly grateful for the uh, generous support we've had from the folks here today. Just uh, a few interesting points about the DC-3, and in fact, if we go right back to the DC-1, who can remember what happened, what happened to the first DC-1? Anybody remember? What, no, 1st of July 1933, Carl Cover flew the first DC-1. Does anybody recall or remember what happened to it on the very day it flew? It was in that landing with a panic. Did you put it down? He's it, in trouble? It, well, you're along the right lines. In fact, what happened when they got airborne, he rotated the aeroplane off the ground, the floats in the carburetor have been installed upside down. And they very nearly lost the first aeroplane on its initial test flight. But uh, fortunately, kind of this uh, Carl Cover was a pretty astute pilot and he recognised instantly what was going on. So he gained a little height, pushed the nose over, get the engines to start again, get a little bit more momentum, gained a little more height, and he eventually got round the circuit, got to 1500 feet, and both engines quit and he did stick it back on the runway. And subsequently, of course, the DC-1 was only ever one of them ever made, and it lasted about uh, nine years of its life, and then the Spanish actually finally had an engine failure, and it, it did a forced landing immediately after takeoff, and that was the end of its days. For the DC-2, there were 212 of those uh, manufactured, and they came out of the factory in May 1934, and of course what happened then was that uh, the airlines were putting the pressure on to say, we need a form of air transport that can fly coast to coast in the US of A, ideally with uh, a minimum of, uh, or maximum of two fuel stops, and the ability, believe it or not, and this, this is quote unquote from the Bible of the DC-3, the ability to take off on one engine. Can you believe that? Never in its heyday was it ever going to get airborne on one engine. But uh, Donald Douglas persevered and he and uh, American Airlines got together and a guy by the name of uh, Cyrus, Cyrus uh, Smith and another man by the name of uh, Littlewood uh, set about designing an aeroplane that subsequently has proved to be irreplaceable and I think you'll agree of the uh, 16 and a bit thousand aeroplanes that were ever made there has never been a replacement for a DC-3 other than another DC-3 and clearly it has been the biggest production transport aircraft ever made and it's unlikely to ever be uh, superseded. I think currently they've got uh, the 7-3 is out to about uh, just a little over 8,000 and I don't imagine any of us are going to believe that in 75 years time there's still going to be a 737 flying. Just a, uh, a few little anecdote, uh, anecdotal references here. Uh, many of you will know, of course, that uh, we refer to it as the, the DC-3. In fact, there weren't many DC-3s manufactured. Just a little over 600 in total of the uh, 10 and a bit thousand 
others were all C47s. And you might say, what's the difference? Nobody will probably ever know, because they, you know, the Navy had them as an R4D, uh, the POMs used them as a Dakota, the C53 was another uh, reference number for the aeroplane. But essentially, they all were built to the same design and effectively the same aeroplane. The particular one that we have out there started life the same as AZL as a C-47B, came out of Oklahoma in 1944, and then went back some years later to be converted to a C-47D, which meant that the large freight door in it was replaced with the yesterday door that we have currently. So there have been many varieties of the aeroplane, and in fact, at its peak time, there are over <coughs> Uh, the aeroplane was coming out of the factory, believe it or not, at a rate of one every 28 minutes. Nearly 5,000 produced in 1944 alone. So you can see, uh, but for the fact that uh, it was Rosie the Riveter, where our women folk uh, bashing rivets with a dolly and a gun, the, uh, the war probably would never have featured the uh, DC-3 or the C-47 as successfully as it was. The big... Uh, Push, I suppose, that you might well remember the, the, the big history behind the uh, DC-3 really was, of course, uh, Normandy and D-Day, June 1946. And uh, I'd have to say, uh, Jesse and I have done an odyssey around uh, all the uh, museums in the local area there in Normandy, and to stand on Pegasus Bridge and uh, you know look out and see where the, the first glider landed was pretty special. And and whilst we're not obsessed with the DC-3, we're certainly passionate about preserving it. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we do what we do. You know, we have a syndicate of 50 owners for our aeroplane, or nominally 50, and it's essentially run by a small, close-knit group of about 10 people. And we don't see the rest from day to day, week to week, year to year. And it's a, it, I can tell you it's a big responsibility because uh, we run as a full-blooded airline, so we're subject to audit and inspection by civil aviation just the same as anybody else. We have to dot the I's and cross the T's just like a major airline does. So it's a, it's a big responsibility and I think uh, when I uh, look back at where I've been, I've, I started flying the C-47 or the DAC in the Air Force in 1972 and when I left the Air Force in 79, I didn't touch the aeroplane again until uh, 1997 and it was only by coincidence. In fact, I didn't, I didn't have any real great desires to go back and fly it, but I was approached by a uh, sim instructor at Auckland one day and he said, we know you've got a type rating, why don't you come and do it? And with that I did. And it's interesting that uh, once I got back into it, I kind of quite like this. It was uh, like riding a bike. You never forget the figures or the numbers or the techniques. And uh, over a period of time, subsequently, Jessie became a shareholder as well because she got sick and tired of me flying over the top while she was outside waving a towel. <laughs> and, uh, and between us, you know, we've, we've put uh, 12, 13 years into the, the aeroplane and, like I say, we're, we're determined, uh, hopefully, to see the aeroplane through to 100 years. Just to uh, sort of typify where we are, in fact, there's a couple of numbers here because we've had a, a few other numbers here today. This this might uh, bring a tear to your eye with uh, some of the just the little snippets of uh, feature about the DC-3. 1964, Douglas modified a 1939 DC-3 logbook. It showed 81,545 hours in 25 years. Do the maths, you know that's about 250 hours every month, eight hours every day. Unbelievable, and still they fly. 
1960s, an aircraft reported a cracked wing bolt. It was found to be an original part, 22 years old, designed to last 16,000 hours. Been in the aeroplane for 64,880 hours. As they say, maybe you can destroy it, but you can never wear it out. And so it seems, you know, it goes on and on. And interestingly enough, the, uh, the aeroplane, as most of you probably will know as well, is unlifed. So as long as it's maintained, the airframe will fly on forever. It's only the surplus bits around the outside, like those two engines and propellers and bits and pieces that make it work, that are ever going to uh, limit the life of the aeroplane. So without further ado, let's, let's just run through a little bit of a saga here, because we can do this pictorially, and you're, you're all going to laugh at this. And perhaps, but I, I can wear a few hats and tell you what I do. So I fly a DC-3, right? Guess what its registration is? <laughs> and I've never been a fighter pilot, so I can't be one of those. <laughs> what else have we got? It goes on and on and on. In recent times, we've done the NAC tour. Prior, just a little after that, we went and flew down south for Southern Trust. Amy, the other DAC in the country that's uh, living at Ashburton. And on the 29th or 28th of February, guess what? We were there for the last day of Wigram. With Amy as well. Let's put those down there. You might wonder what we do uh, with our aeroplane. It's uh, predominantly involved with air shows, even though it's air transport. So Jesse and I went to Oshkosh last year for the 75th anniversary of the DC-3. <laughs> and we set foot on the oldest DC-3 in the world. American Airlines flagship. 93,000 hours still flying. Powered, of course, by Pratt & Whitney engines. <laughs> sponsored by Shell. <laughs> in uh, New Zealand here, we've uh, been 25 years next year, the aeroplane would have been uh, in the syndicate. So we've been to Wanaka. Here we go, 2002, 2004, <laughs> 2006. They didn't make a hat in 2008, and now it's got no numbers on it, but that's last year's one. And finally, just to really rub it in and culminate where we are today, many of you will have known us, of course, as this. Or we're Dakota. We've never been awarded to Kota. But the aeroplane essentially was recognised uh, as that simply because it was alien or aligned and, and its allegiance was with warbirds. We were, of course, known as Fly Dakota. But now we're known as Fly DC3. <laughs> and that's us, folks. So uh, we thank you for you know giving us the opportunity to be involved here today. And uh, the big thing is for you uh, to take away from the forum here today, apart from all the other good stuff you've heard, is that we don't do much in the way of advertising. So we survive on word of mouth stuff. And you know the interesting thing is that our DC3 is capable of a lot of uh, different activities. And in particular, we like to see it doing uh, things that are a little bit off the beaten track. So you know, if you want to go to Woody Anger for a pizza or a game of golf, we can do that. If you want to go to New Plymouth and go fishing or go to Napier or Rotorua or Taupo for a swim in the hot pools, we can do that as well. One of the other interesting things that we're really uh, looking at at the moment or we've been doing for some years is what we call aerial burials. 
and we're going out and doing uh, scattering of ashes. And the interesting thing about that is that we can put 30 people into the aeroplane, essentially go where you want, do what you want, when you want, and how you want, without the uh, restrictions and limitations that's involved in going into you know the local uh, cemetery. Sounds a bit uh, sort of grim and serious, doesn't it? But it's another one of the things that this aeroplane is capable of doing. And so it lives on, and uh, you know, General Eisenhower, who can remember the five things that he said would win the war? Or did win the war? The Second World War. What were the five things that he said? Yep. The Jeep. Yeah, there's, there's uh, two, well, wait, a GMC truck. In, including the, the uh, DAC anyway, because that was part of it. What were the other four? We've got the, the Jeep, the bazooka. Anybody remember the other two? Yes? Uh, no. GMC, Deuce in the Heart, the 6% trucks. No. Shannon? No. What about the bulldozer? And believe it or not, the atomic bomb. So it's in good company, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so there we go, folks. That's us, and thanks very much for your time.